Heads up, Easter is early this year, so get everything you need to host for Sunday, March 31st. Pastel outfits for the whole family, Macy's has you covered. Macy's also has Toys R Us Easter basket goodies, from books to stuffed animals and even slime. Find it all in-store and online at Macy's.com. Hiring is hard. Express Employment Professionals makes it easy. Forget about posting jobs, sifting through resumes, being ghosted, and interviewing unqualified applicants. Visit ExpressPros.com to let the pros help you. Express Employment Professionals is your full-service workforce solution, connecting you with top talent fast. With more than 40 years in the staffing business, Express helps thousands of companies Find great team players each year, and they can help you too. Go to expresspros.com to find the location near you. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows that we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be the chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions that help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. I've been telling you about Tacova's boots for a very long time. Heritage, tradition, quality, comfort, style, and service are some of the best features of Tacova's. But now they also have a gift for my listeners. Tacovas will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps free with a minimum purchase of $100 at tacovas.com. Just use code BONES at checkout. That's B-O-N-E-S at tacovas.com. And that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Come and point your toes west. Life ain't always pretty, but hey, it's pretty beautiful things. Laugh a little more things. Tight, tighten up your core Said EK, you're kicking it with four things. With Amy Brown. Okay, the next thing I want to get into is a touch treat. Explain to people what that is. I, my husband was in the Air Force for 12 years, and I was talking to him one time about if we're lost in the wild and my son, we were hiking in Colorado and my son was asking a bunch of different questions. And I remember having a similar thought of there's no way I would be able to get us back to where we started. I just wouldn't. And my husband's like, sure, you just have to find your point of reference. What mm-hmm. it be? you picture, you know, is it going to be this tree? Is it going to be that? Are we going to make a point of reference? So I feel like when I was in that situation, I just kind of let my husband lead because that's his expertise and I trust him and I'm horrible with directions and point of reference. So I feel like sometimes in life, not that exact scenario, obviously, but and maybe it's not even my husband leading, but I almost don't trust myself mm-hmm. because yeah. I don't have my, what's what I go back to with what is true because I'm second guessing all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, I feel that. I think everybody feels that. 
<laughs> that feels very familiar to me. So my entire hobby is just watching really bad TV. Okay. Like the, the level of TV that I watch is like, if you look at the television, you try to find what is the least productive thing you can do with your brain. That's what I watch. Like Bravo is my life. Okay. So it's embarrassing actually. So I was watching this weird show one day about I think it was called Survivor Man. It was like a show about this guy who goes out into the woods on purpose and he gets really lost. And then the whole show is about him finding his way out. Okay. So it's fascinating, this show. I'm watching it. And he explains to the audience that when someone gets very lost in the woods, the main goal is to be found, right? To be found. And the best way to be found is to stay in one place. But if you are lost in the woods, you can't stay in one place for long because you have to go out and get food and water and like whatever you need to survive. So this is a problem. You have to stay in one place and not stay in one place. Okay. So his solution was that if you're lost in the woods, you have to find a touch tree. And what a touch tree is, is it's like a huge recognizable tree that you can go out into the woods each day, but come back to over and over again, right? Because it's recognizable enough for you to find it. So you can go out and come back and go out and come back. And this perpetual returning means that you can never get too far gone. So what this made me think of was that in my life, I have been lost in the woods so many times. And Every time I think about those times in my life that I've been lost, I can trace it back to my making something outside of my deepest, truest self, my touch tree, like a person, a relationship, an identity, um, an old identity, uh, dogma, religion, out, outer ideas of success, something that I'm looking to outside of this to find my way home. And it never, ever works, right? It's always how we remain confused and lost. It's like this morning, This is I'm just thinking about this as I'm speaking. So Abby and I had this friend come over to help us do a workout this morning. We were doing this crazy thing where we had to balance in front of each other, right? And she said, find a point of reference, find a steady point of reference. Abby and I were looking at each other and we could not stay on our feet, right? Because I'm shaking, she's shaking, like so we're both falling back and forth. And I'm like, of course, my ridiculous mind can't just be like, we're working out. So in my head, I'm like, this is a metaphor for relationships, right? Each person has to find their own point of reference, no matter how much in love with each other you are. Because when you look at each other to be the point of reference, you can't always study each other, right? That's not our job in a relationship. So the idea of the touch tree is that the only thing that's been consistently wise, consistently um, returned me to peace and truth is making my deepest self in the quiet, my touch tree. Okay, the one place that I can always find the truth, that I can always find my next right move is when I get quiet enough to turn off all the outer voices in the entire world and I sit with myself in the stillness, right? And then when you do that, something, when you do that long enough, we just all have this inner voice, right? And we lose touch with it because number one, we're so used to pleasing other people. And number two, the voices on the outside are so loud. So when we practice returning to this thing inside of us, we find that thing that is always speaking to us. And some people call it God and some people call it spirit and some people call it intuition and some people call it gut instinct. It's, it doesn't matter what you call it. But everybody who I know who is living a unique shooting star of a life that they were meant to live is somebody who knows how to call it. 
regardless of what they call it. How long did it take you to, to find that in the work? Because I don't think you, someone can listen to this right now and think, oh, okay, I need to be my own point of reference. So that's what I'm gonna start doing. Like, I don't think it just yeah. happens. Yeah, well, so we're addicted to so many things, right? And, and, I, and I think when I started to become my point of reference was in sobriety, right? I mean, nobody who's numbing themselves out will ever become their own point of reference. Right, because you're, what you're doing is you're literally numbing that voice. So that's the first step, right? If you're constantly numbing or deflecting, then you know that can take you freaking years to figure out how to stop doing that. Okay, but that's step one. And then it actually is really, really unbelievably easy. No, I shouldn't say it's easy. It's simple. It's actually not easy. Okay, because I think that sitting with yourself in the stillness is the hardest thing to do in the world. That's why nobody does it. I mean, people start entire wars because they can't sit with themselves in the stillness, right? Like being alone with yourself, it's like we're those snow globes and we just keep ourselves shaken up, right? All the time because we don't want to see the thing, the little thing at the center of the snow globe because the thing at the center of the snow globe is the truth. And we get really still, that thing always pops up, right? It's that thing that we have to heal from our past that we haven't faced. It's that person we have to have that conversation with. It's that addiction we have that we're, you know, pretending that we don't have. It's the, it's the scary, hard truth, which is why so few of us want to pretend that we don't know how to return to ourselves because it's super simple, but not easy. Gosh, 2020 with a pandemic, which we have no memo for at all whatsoever, but so many people were forced to sit with themselves and let the snow settle. And, you know, a lot of people either, yeah, were continued the numbing or they realized, okay, this is a time where I can maybe put in the work. But a lot, I feel like in our home, a lot of stuff came up because suddenly we are very busy, go, go, go. You know, not necessarily what I think the pandemic has offered my family, and I'll just share this because maybe it feels like our own family touch tree, but becoming more of a, a family focused unit instead of, and I've heard Brene Brown talk about it of which sobriety, now that I mentioned her name, it pops in my head too. She's, when you bring up sobriety, she's said before I heard her, um, Tim Ferriss's podcast saying that sobriety is her superpower. Yeah. So whatever you're numbing yourself with, maybe it's not alcohol, but once you get rid of that, you feel like your power's back. But, you know, she talked about kid focused families, parent focused families, and family-focused. And, you know, for us, we had to get still. It caused, a pandemic caused us to get still enough to realize we are not family-focused. Not even really parent-focused or kid-focused. We were just, like, shifting whichever needed to get done focused. Outer-focused. Outer-focused. Just whatever way the wind blows, we're putting out fires all day. Mm -hmm. And now we've sat with it, and I feel like our family globe has settled. We're like, well, shit, like we, we don't even know what we're do, who we are, what are we doing? What, what, what do we want to be together? So that's, yeah. Okay. I kind of went off. I love that so. stuff in my head as you're talking of like, that's what's happened to our family. Our snow globe has settled and now we're trying to figure out what to do with what's been revealed. It's so good, sister, because that's what happens to all of us. And then, and then when you, when you, what you're talking about is slowing down enough to be intentional too. It's just like, we end up just unintentional, just whatever comes to us, we do, you know, it's like, and once we did, once we, we don't take the time to stop and think, no, what do I want for this family? Like, not what does the world want from me, but what do I want for this family? 
right? Because if we don't stop and get intentional about it, the world will eat us up. The demands from the world will eat us up. And especially as parents, the world will tell us, oh, they have to be this, they have to be this, they have to be in 49 activities. They have to be doing like the things that, um, and we don't even stop to think, wait, is that success? Is that how we measure success as a family? And I think you're right, this pandemic, all the hell and it has, I mean, the, the, the chaos it has wreaked. It is also forcing us all to ask ourselves, what do we want in the after? And I think people are going to have different priorities, I hope. And I think if you take the time to sit with it, that's what I need to work on, is getting in touch with my, my touch tree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> me, instead of like everything else and trusting other people to guide me because I feel like I'll get myself lost. Right. So that's going to take work. Which, by the way, before we wrap this thing, before we get into some things that you're thankful for and a listener question, you mentioned Bravo and Nushashi B. My therapist has told me, has kindly informed me that that stuff for me is my self-care. Thank you to your therapist. I have all permission in the world because that's one of the things that actually I do. It it just, it does that for me. Self-care looks different for so many different people and self-care for me is Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Listen, yes. And, and you know what? It's just, I mean, my family makes fun of me to no end. Listen, I, like all day, all I do is like try to, you know, foster sisterhood and feminism. And then I watch the housewives tear each other up all night. But here's the thing. I don't have anything left. I quit drinking. I quit binging. I quit everything. I need something to turn this hamster wheel of a brain off at night. And real housewives do it. <laughs> Second thing. Oprah had written an article about how, you know, she's been journaling for years, Mm -hmm. like years, but I guess she took a break where she stepped away from it. Not intentionally, life just got busy. But I want to read to you, I'm just going to read you word for word. I'm going to read it like Oprah wrote it. And that way I don't mess anything up. But it's called What Oprah Knows for Sure about gratitude. How'd you find this? Were you just... I was looking about... Because I'm. we were talking about the gratitude challenge. Yeah. And I was looking for a few things. And then I realized growing up, my mom watching Oprah, she talked about gratitude all the time. Yeah. So she anyways... Just like, check, yeah. Googled it. I was like, oh, are you a regular it. at Oprah.com? No. I will but, say her little WW tour that she's on right now where she's got all these and she's putting them up on her podcast. Like you don't even have to be yeah. there. And then cheer, the whole cheer people, they were there and she had... She called Jerry up. Well, Monica and Jerry and Gabby, like they all went yeah. up there and she had Jerry do Matt talk to the crowd. Which and was he- so awesome. <laughs> if y'all have not watched Cheer yet, you need to. Like, it's so good. So I want to try to get Monica. I mean, we had Monica on the Bobby Bone Show, but I would love to get anybody from Cheer to come on the podcast too. So uh, back to the post that Oprah put up, what Oprah knows for sure about gratitude. She said, for years, I've been advocating the power and pleasure of being grateful. I kept a gratitude journal for a full decade without fail and urged you all to do the same. Then life got busy. My schedule overwhelmed me. I still opened my journal some nights, but my ritual of writing down five things I was grateful for every day started slipping away. Here's what I was grateful for on October 12th, 1996. So yeah, Oprah's been on the gratitude train way longer than us. And she was doing like a four things with a bonus. (laughs) A bonus thing. (laughs) Okay, here's Oprah's five things. First thing. A run around Florida's Fisher Island with a slight breeze that kept me cool. Second thing, eating cold melon on a bench in the sun. 
Third thing, a long and hilarious chat with Gail about her blind date with Mr. Potato Head. Four, sorbet in a cone, so sweet that I literally licked my finger. Fifth thing, Maya Angelou calling to read me a new poem. (laughs) Okay, name drop, Oprah. (laughs) Yeah, pick that one up off the floor. (laughs) Nice flex there. Um, But yeah, so this was 1996. I'm going to keep reading though. This is is us talking now, but I want to go back to finish it. She said, a few years ago when I came across that journal entry, I wondered why I no longer felt the joy of simple moments. Since 1996, I had accumulated more wealth, more responsibility, more possessions. Everything, it seemed, had grown exponentially except my happiness. How had I, with all my options and opportunities, become one of those people who never had time to feel delight? I was stretched in so many directions, I wasn't feeling much of anything, too busy doing. But the truth is, I was busy in 1996 too. I just made gratitude a daily priority. I went through the day looking for things to be grateful for, and something always showed up. Boom. Boom. And so that is what we're hopeful for at least Mary and I are with the gratitude challenge, not only for ourselves, but for you, is that you'll show up and make gratitude a priority and that it'll benefit you in ways that you didn't know. And I think that list is a great reminder. And you guys, you've done a great job sharing with your listeners. Like it doesn't have to be these like huge things every day. It could be like a simple phone call with your friend or what was it? Ice cream. I mean, something. Yeah, sorbet and a cone. (laughs) There you go. I mean, it doesn't have to be. I mean, we all know we're not going to have Miles <laughs> yeah. calling us or, you know. A new poem that I want to run by you. But yeah, it could be simple. Like, yeah. yeah, did you get a conversation with a friend? Like, I got to talk to my sister the other day and it was a great little catch-up chat. And she had some stuff going on that I had no idea. But I was thankful that she took the time to share it with me. And that way I knew how I could better be there for yeah. her. Because I, I had no idea that that was happening. And so I was thankful for that. And yeah, if you look for it, things will show up and it really can be simple. So shout out to Oprah, who has been on the gratitude train for a long time, but I'm thankful for this entry because it really showed, I mean, this is an example where she knew in 1996, she felt more happiness than she did even when she had more wealth, more things, more stuff going on, more success, but she wasn't, she wasn't recognizing her gratitude. So mm -hmm, take note from Oprah herself. Let me tell you about this 100% Mongolian cashmere sweater that I got for $50. I ordered it in navy, the crew neck style, and it is perfect. I wore it with jeans and heels to work and then later in the day threw on sneakers and it was a simple outfit that got so many compliments. And something like this exists thanks to Quince. I already have the ivory color in my cart for my next order, which by the way, I never thought I would own anything cashmere before, but since all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, it's doable now. They also have organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more that you need to check out for yourself. And here's how they do it. They partner directly with top factories. Quince cuts out the middleman and passes the savings on to us. 
So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash Amy for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Amy to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash Amy. All right. I can't say enough good things about Tacovas. It's my favorite boot brand. Not just boots. They have everything Western that you need. And it's rodeo season. So if you're looking to put together a good outfit or you're just embracing like your cowgirl, cowboy vibes, again, Tacovas is where it's at. They bring a fresh perspective to heritage boot making. I mean, they've carried forward all the time honored traditions and quality that you would find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they've innovated on comfort, style, and service. I can speak to all three. Their boots are super comfortable. I can wear them to events and my feet feel fine. I get a lot of compliments. They're super cute and I feel cute. And then the customer service is out of this world. They also have trucker hats, the perfect jeans to go with your boots, pearl snaps, cowboy hats, bandanas, you name it, they'll get you outfitted. If you can't make it into a store, Tacovas delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western boots right to your door. Visit tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com and point your toes west. And as a special opportunity for our listeners, Tacovas has said they will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps for free into any minimum purchase of $100 on Tacovas.com. Just use code BONES at checkout. That's B-O-N-E-S. It's about a $30 value and they sell fast, so there are always new styles and looks. Again, for a limited time, just enter code BONES at checkout and you're going to get a free trucker hat. I was reading this whole article the other day about vitamin D and why it's so important, especially for women. Maybe I was really into it because I'm turning 43 next month, but it talked about how vitamin D is very important to the absorption of calcium in our bodies, and it maximizes our bone health, and it helps with our muscle health, our immune system. And 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet. So I was instantly thankful that I take Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus every single day because the clinical study was done and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43%. Now there's nine key nutrients in the ritual vitamins that I take every day. I take two delayed release capsules. And what that does is it optimizes our body's absorption. I take it in the morning. They're gentle on an empty stomach, so you don't have to worry about that. And there's this special minty essence in every bottle that just, it smells good. They taste good. They're fun to take. And Rituals Essential for Women, they are USP verified. So you know that you can trust what you're putting in your body. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash four things. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash four things for 20% off. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, 
only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Here we go. Third thing. Okay, Dr. Tatum, super excited to have you here with us for this important time and conversation. And with that, a conversation seems to be something that is a word I, I have over and over of, I need to be having conversations with my kids. I need to be having conversations with my friends. So I would like to hear from you. How do we start these conversations? When white people are talking to their white friends, often it is not a topic they're talking about very much, um, except when something like what's happening right now, you know, they've seen George Floyd's murder on the news, um, the protests are happening. It's hard not to be talking about these questions. What I find is that many of my white students over the years in the places where I've taught and many of the people who come to my workshops have lived a long time without much practice at having these conversations. And so when they do want to have the conversations, it feels very awkward, in part because they've grown up thinking, I'm not supposed to mention race. I'm not supposed to notice race. And so it almost feels like you're breaking a societal rule. Many will tell me that that's how they sometimes feel. And they worry very much that they might say or do the wrong thing, that it might be perceived by someone else as saying something racially prejudiced, or you know, they might just make some mistakes that cause awkwardness in a conversation. That's especially true if they're talking to a person of color. But even if it's a white person talking to another white person, there may be fear about that. But it's not hard to start a conversation to simply say, I've been watching the news, it's very upsetting to me. I wonder how you feel about what you're seeing. Kids, things are going to be different depending on their age and what information they can handle. But I could see how, yeah, that could be an easy way to just see where someone is in their thoughts. And then breaking that, what we were raised with, which is the silence. I think yes. you're right. You know, when we have, were told so long, you know, just be kind to people don't have hate in your heart, don't see color. People meant well, but actually that's what we need to unlearn. Yes, I sometimes use as an example a conversation with a preschooler. Let's imagine there's a white parent with a white child and they're in a grocery store. And maybe they live in a largely white community, so it's unusual to encounter a person of color. And so let's imagine this three-year-old is in the grocery store with mom and spots a dark-skinned person. That child might, out of curiosity, say, Mom, look at that person. Why is their skin so dark? And you can imagine that that mom or dad might be embarrassed in that moment. And the response might be to say, shh, you know, and not to answer the question, but simply to silence the child in what feels like an awkward moment. But the message to the child is, we're not supposed to notice, we're not supposed to talk about this, there's something wrong with what I just said. We could imagine a different kind of scenario, same scenario, but a different kind of response, where maybe the parent would say, oh, because people come in different colors. Just like people have different hair color or eye color, they have different skin color, and move on. It doesn't have to be a big deal, but there's so much historical reluctance to it because of the legacy of racism in our society, it feels like a very toxic subject and many people respond by simply trying to hush 
the conversation rather than engage it. I've been consuming so much information lately, just trying to take in as much as I can because I've realized, okay, I have a platform, but even if you don't have a platform, you still need to speak up. You're using your platform and it's a wonderful thing that you are, but to your listeners, everybody has a platform of some kind. We all have a sphere of influence. And so some people's sphere is very big, some it's more, you know, it's smaller, but we all influence other people and, and each of us can think about how am I using my sphere of influence to bring about change. What are the next steps on where we can go from here if people are wanting to do more? Well, especially for listeners who feel like they don't know enough, certainly working to educate yourself is an important first step. And as you said, there are lots of resources, many more today than there were in the past, good books that people can read, articles, things online, social justice, education websites, books, uh, multicultural and uh, books that are really useful to read with kids. As you said, parents are often busy, but even busy parents sometimes will sit down and read a book with a young child. And there are lots of them that are really helpful. And if people are wondering, well, how would I know which ones are good? There's a great website called socialjusticebooks.org, which can give you lots of good suggestions. Educating oneself Unfortunately, many people don't really have a good knowledge base about the history of racism in our society. We, of course, all have heard about slavery, but if, we, if that's all we know, we're missing a lot of information. And so even contemporary, there's some great books about current events. One of my favorites that I'm recommending right now is not only mine, but How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. Mm-hmm. It's a great one. Or Another one is White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. But these are places where people can start to think about what have my own experiences been and how have they shaped how I view the world and what can I do differently? Gathering with other people to have those conversations can be really helpful. And someone might say, well, I live in an all-white community. You know, I, I want to talk to people of color. Well, there's value in that, of course, but let's not minimize the benefit that comes from talking to other white people who are helping to educate each other in this journey. Well, I just appreciate you taking the time to come on with me so much. When I heard you were going to join us, I was like, oh, really? And I even (laughs) messaged some friends that I knew were reading your book and they were geeking out. So (laughs) pretty cool to have you on. So I just- Well, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I hope you have a good rest of your day. I'm sure you're very busy right now. (laughs) That's good. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Well, thank you for your for your courage. Thank you so much for all you do. Bye. Bye-bye. So Christy, let's talk about our experience at the grocery store in Colorado a couple of weeks ago. Right. <laughs> I mean, I didn't tell you at the time, but thoughts were going through my head. Words of affirmation are my love language. So I think even at the grocery store, which you didn't explain to me in detail what you were thinking and experiencing shopping with me now that I'm in this recovery phase of my eating disorder. But I remember turning an aisle going maybe about to check out or something. And I said something along the lines of, so have you noticed how easy I've been? Right. You're kind of wanting some words of affirmation at I wanted the time. To, to and affirm. honestly, I was noticing it in my head. I just didn't say anything out loud. Words of affirmation is not my strong point. 
yeah. honestly to other people. So if I'd have recognized you needed that, well, but, I, but you prompted it. Don't you know. worry. I asked for it. <laughs> well, I just wanted to know if you noticed and you said, yeah, I noticed, but it wasn't until later on that we had a real conversation about it and other things started to come out beyond just the anxiety that I gave you anytime we would grocery shop together or eat as a family together. So I'm going to sit back and let you share with people your experience with my eating disorder, because when you have something like that going on or disordered eating, whatever it is for you, body image issues, you're altering your lifestyle and it could potentially affect other people. You don't realize what you're doing is so annoying how it's affecting other people. and how it's affecting. Mm-hmm. And it may be annoying might not be the word, but I know for me looking back, I'm like, wow, I was annoying. But I also made you feel weird about things and had you second guessing every little move. But you can talk people through it just so that they can maybe know what they're putting others through and not to feel bad about it, but just to have a a full picture understanding of what other people might be going through. Or if, if anybody listening is living with someone that was like me or has a friend or a loved one that's like me, they can say, oh gosh, okay, somebody gets me like I'm not alone. Well, just to go back to the grocery store, I think things were going through my head. And so it wasn't until you brought it up, like, hey, are you noticing that I'm not being difficult at the grocery (laughs) store? And I was in my head, I was like, actually, yes, yes, I am. You know, because as I was picking out this, that or the other, whether it was a cheese or a salad, you know, and you are one to always wanted to read the label. And sometimes you'd put things back or grab something extra that was the same exact thing, but maybe that fell into a a category that you thought was better for my approved list. Right. You had, you had like lists and, and it changed. And that's the thing, like like things would change and all of a sudden you're on this kick and then, you know, you're gone. We don't see each other for a little while and you come back and I'm like, Oh, guess what I have? And you're like, Oh, I don't need that anymore. You know? And it's like, (laughs) ah, I can't keep up with all your things. You know, you're always like, and what was amazing, you know, one week, a few weeks, later is not amazing anymore because there's something different and better and everybody has their own things. And I think you really do and you really have just kind of learned what works for you and kind of your perspective on eating has changed. And I like the term disordered eating, I guess, a little bit better than eating disorder. Because well, it's to different me, stuff. Is it? Well, there's I, different I because, well, for me, and I'm no expert, I bring mm-hmm. the experts on, but from my understanding, and I hadn't really labeled anything as disordered eating until I did outweigh with Lisa. And that's the first yeah. time I started seeing, I started following different Instagram accounts and people that this is their passion and they want to help people. And so there's anorexia, there's bulimia, there's like clinically diagnosed bulimia and anorexia. There's times where people may go a day without eating. Does that mean they're 80 pounds and they need to be in a clinic somewhere? No, but they are depriving themselves of food. Mm-hmm because of a certain goal that they have or feeling that they have. Then there's people that throw up maybe once a week, or there's people that throw up 50 times a day. So there's different levels of extreme where outweigh we were speaking to more of the people that were like us, because we're not, again, I'm not an expert. You need to go get, and I'll go ahead and give a disclaimer here if you're listening to this. If you have something extreme like that, our advice would be to seek professional help because we want you to say help Mm -hmm. save your life. Because that's what, I remember Julie Cox, a family friend of ours, A long time ago when I met with her about when I was throwing up, she told me, she said, every time you throw up, 
it's a slow suicide. Mm -hmm. And that stuck with me, Mm -hmm. but it still didn't keep me from doing it. (laughs) And then I saw an article somewhere recently too, if you have thrown up consistently for five years or more, you should go get your esophagus checked Mm -hmm. out because of the damage that you're doing. And for me, I wasn't ever 50 times a day. I wasn't even 10 times a day. I was more of a, every once in a while, if it was really bad, maybe every day for a few days and then totally stop or whatever. So eating disorder category, disordered eating, body image issues, body dysmorphia would be orthorexia, where you are obsessed with ingredients and certain types of food and healthy things and you're overly healthy. Like it gives you anxiety if you can't control that. You try to, I've had all of that. Right. Okay. I've had times where I haven't eaten. I didn't know there was a name to that. I have. I need to listen to the whole series. Where I've thrown up. I have Mm -hmm. times where I've just controlled every little Mm -hmm. detail of what I put in my body, which would be orthorexia. I have, you know, different, trying every different fad diet known to man. And that was kind of my thing, Mm -hmm. being known for what was the next thing. I had disordered eating. If I couldn't go to a family dinner and sit down at the table and just eat what was being served to me and enjoy it that was made with love, like from you or dad or mom, I couldn't do that. I had to show up with my own food and my Mm -hmm. own ingredients and my own thing. So that's... And I would get to the point where I would just designate you to bring the salad anyways so that you could make the salad how you wanted it and the dressing how you wanted it. You know, I'm a nine on the Enneagram, which is a peacemaker. So I'm not going to be the one that's going to be confrontational about things. I'm going to try and just adapt to whatever's going to keep the peace a little bit. But I think there was a couple times where I was like, okay, this is getting a little bit ridiculous. And I don't think I knew the extent to what was going on in your mind. I didn't always know all your battles with the bulimia and the binging and the purging. Well, so and to clarify some of my story, which I shared it fully on Outweigh episode two, and that is a four part series that aired on Four Things Podcast back in April. Every Saturday, you can go find the episodes. But I share my full story there. But I started throwing up in high school, but then I stopped in college. And then I didn't throw up at all. I mean, I didn't realize I had disordered eating, though. It mm-hmm. stuck with me. What I was doing from college until you mom died. Exercising. I was lot. exercising a lot. I was trying every meal plan. No fads. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like that is disordered eating. Right. So to help again, wrap up the definition of that. If there was any confusion, that's why there is, there's different little pockets. It wasn't just one thing that you were Mm -hmm. kind of set on. Then after mom died, the day after she died, the throwing up was back. And to me, it blew my mind because I I remember, I didn't know the throwing up had started, but I remember what happened. We pulled over and you were like, I'm getting a pizza. Uh Uh-huh. I don't remember this. You got a pizza. You have I'm to tell me. I don't sure. remember. Because basically what happened that whole I feel time like so that mom much was of that really sick. a blur. And well, I remember it because I was just kind of, I wasn't even thinking about eating and people were dropping off food at my house. And, you know, mom was in hospice care and, and not doing that good. And then she came to the house. So we had a lot of food in the house, but I just didn't feel like eating. And we had, you know, your in-laws were constantly going and picking up juice land for us. And you would only get juice. Green juice. Like you were only drinking no fruit the tiger lily not even the apple you Green know it was veggies. like mm-hmm. only tastes like watered down spinach is kind of what it tastes like <laughs> yeah. and I was like I can't do that just get me a wonder shows and it at least had almond butter and whatever so I'm living off wonder shows and smoothies and you're just living off juice and right after mom died I remember we were driving and you know it's that little pizza place right by my house and we were driving past it and you're like I'm gonna get a pizza and in my head I was like oh she's gonna get a pizza okay and like we picked up the pizza and you you ate the whole thing it was a veggie pizza 
I think you probably purged later. Oh, I'm sure I did, but I don't. But I think it started. Okay. Right then. And I just wasn't like aware of what was happening and that this was like a way that you were coping with things and. Well, it started when it started. I mean, I'm sure that's what I did with the pizza. And it's weird. I don't remember that, but I'm sure. I remember it. It's a mixture of grief and Mm -hmm. mourning Mm -hmm. that I don't remember certain things. lack of control. Lack of control. Yes. And then, well, Xanax, wine. So there's a lot that's a little bit of a blur. I mean, our mom had just died. So that's interesting. You remember that? And I'm sure that's exactly what that was. But your birthday was the day after she died Mm -hmm. and your in-laws decided to have a little party at the house and got a food Uh, truck. It was this weird thing where... Did you have a lobster roll? I did. And then maybe some fries or something. I don't remember, but I hadn't really eaten all day. And I ate that and something about me, because again, I hadn't thrown up in years, Mm -hmm. years and years and years. After I ate something about me that felt wrong, I was trying to explain to my therapist and even we talked through it on Outway. It's it's like, I'm supposed to be grieving right now. Grieving people don't eat. I need to get rid of this. Mm-hmm. So I went over to Kristen's house, your neighbor, mm-hmm. and like their pool house, and I threw it up. And that's when you it started. Did? Mm-hmm. Okay, then I haven't listened to that part of the outweigh that you talked about. And you and I haven't really talked about I know. this. Because I felt the same way. I was like, it was a different feeling that I had. Like, I'm not supposed to be celebrated today because it was my birthday. And I was like, how do I celebrate in the middle of this, you know? But, but that's but, where it all, that's when the throwing up for me came back, just so you understand the timeline. Then that added another layer back into the mix. So not only was I now reintroducing the purging, but I had binging. Then I had the orthorexia. I mean, I had it all. I bound, you know, everything. I've seen all of that, Mm -hmm. I think, in you just over the years, ever since high school, college, when you used to like try and run marathons and do all this over-exercising, kind of under-eating, over-exercising type Mm -hmm. stuff. But just to revisit really quick back to what I've noticed just these last few weeks, especially when you're in Colorado. Well, and it's the last few weeks I'll just people hate when I cut people off, but I just want to paint the picture. She always cuts me off. <laughs> She's joking. I'm used to it. But I know I'll get an email like, well, why didn't you just let your sister I talk? Know, but fine. I'm going to say that it's the last few weeks for you because we've been together. Like I was in Colorado with you and now you're here with me in Nashville. So we've been together a lot more. Right. But I've been putting in the work for yes. a year and a half now. No, I'm saying that I haven't spent, we haven't spent a ton of time right. together, obviously because of quarantine and different things. But even even last visit at the beginning of the year when I was in Nashville, I noticed some differences like on us ordering food and what we had and what the experience was like, you know, because typically it would be kind of stressful to go to a restaurant with you because you'd basically want the waitress to like lay out every ingredient and how it was cooked and where it was from. And is it this? And is it that? Oh, can you sub this and sub that? And actually I brought my own dressing. It's in my purse, you know, or like different things that you would do. And that's obviously part been part of your journey. But then what I've noticed, even just recently, obviously the grocery store experience was you seemed more free at the grocery store. And there wasn't a lot of like micromanaging my choices. And then also that night we were cooking. I remember we were grilling chicken and I was marinating the chicken and I wasn't even like totally aware of my thoughts. But but then I realized if I started being more aware of my thoughts as I was marinating the chicken, I was putting like spices and apple cider vinegar and olive oil in a bag and the chicken breasts in there to marinate. And I was just waiting for you to want to read my spice jar 
you know, ingredients or to come over and double check what kind of, you know, olive oil I was using or oil. Maybe I wasn't supposed to use olive oil. Maybe you wanted me to use avocado oil or some other oil or no oil. I mean, I just, it's, it's always been so hard to know and you didn't. And I remember, I think I brought it up and I just like, you know what I just noticed? I just marinated this chicken and you were in here. I was sort of trying to hide the spice bottle from you (laughs) and you saw me. You didn't say anything. And I was like, I think you're growing, <laughs> you know, in this area of being free of a lot of the bondage you've you've been in over food. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's a heavy thing, but it's a very real thing. You know, it's probably been a struggle. You know, there's been times I've cooked things and I remember you weren't doing dairy and, and I had made something and I was like, well, she's not really allergic to dairy. <laughs> and this sauce is so much better with like two tablespoons of cream in it. And it was like a lemon wine sauce and with chicken. And you took one bite of it. This was years ago and then you went oh my gosh is there dairy in this it was like you were mad at me for what I had made Mm -hmm. and you know in our family cooking is sort of a love language like that's kind of what our our dad you know how he showed love he cooked for people but then when you're cooking for people and then someone's always micromanaging or it's not the right thing or whatever and if you're like truly allergic to something that's different. You know, that's a total d- different issue. But your needs and everything were constantly changing. And there's no way anybody inflict- could like, like yeah, put it upon myself. And nobody could really keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see you growing through it, I think, is encouraging and give give people hope out there for what the steps are that are necessary to just break free from the bondage that some people feel under and over food. Body issues. issues. I mean, all of those things. Those, those have been your things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why that is my thing, because when I started therapy in high school, after told mom I had started throwing up, they would pinpoint it to, well, your dad Mm -hmm. left Mm -hmm. when you were younger, and this is how you're coping Mm -hmm. with it. And maybe that is the case. I don't know for sure that I buy fully into that now, but I really feel like I started dieting at such a young age. What I've learned is that when you start to restrict your brain is starving and Mm -hmm. it starts to want more. Mm -hmm. So then you start eating more when you can't control it and then you overeat. And Mm -hmm. then some people are like, well, I got to figure out how to get rid of this. And then they Mm -hmm. start purging. And then that cycle begins. And then it's also, my therapist has told me too, it's behaviors like binging, they're depressants for the central nervous system, sort of like alcohol. They mm-hmm. can create a numbing feeling, mm-hmm. especially, and if anybody's been caught in that mindless eating cycle, you almost feel like it's an out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. When you throw up, there's a certain euphoric feeling that comes along with it, and then you're sort of disassociated from reality in that world, and there, there's a lot of feelings that are either felt and then not felt with it. So it's like this great combo. And for me, whatever I was using that to cope with either the dad stuff or why I use dieting, I don't know. But you never started dieting at a young age because dad left you too. So then I thought, mm-hmm. well, why didn't my sister end up with eating disorders or disordered eating? Different or- issues, I think. I think I just started trying to perform certain ways. Like if I just make these decisions and and don't do these things and be, you know, even though I failed in, in different ways, I think on the outside, I just wanted to look like I had everything together. Whereas oh, yeah. on the inside, I really was falling apart. No one could know, you know, and I couldn't ever show dad I was angry because if I showed him I was angry, then he might not ever come back. And, you know, which he didn't, but to mom. But you were like, trying to win him over. I with- was trying to. To perform to, in a sense. 
Okay. Well, so, and that's something I've always struggled with. And I think we might get into that later. Like, like what is the lie you've always believed and when did it enter in? Yeah. We'll do that in the third thing. But did you ever diet at a young age? I don't remember you like must dieting. N- like I don't have enough self-control for that. But that's, that's um, the thing. I think that Again, because I, food, I just like food. Well, but there's times same. I can. Well, um, no, but here's my thought on that. Yes, there's the angle of like I could have used it as a way to deal with the dad stuff. Mm-hmm. But also neurologically, there's just some stuff I messed up possibly by starting to diet so young. And whatever caused me to do that, insecurities, diet culture, it's everywhere. Um, well, and mom was doing things too at the time. Like yeah. during the '90s, there was all the you fat know, the free spray butter. Yes, with the spray butter. I used to use we like had... half a bottle of spray butter on a waffle, <laughs> and I was like, "I'm so healthy right now. This is fat free." Like, forget the spray; just open it and like, right. pour it on there. That's well, what I would do. And we did have a family that lived with us for a little bit because they were anyway. It doesn't really matter, Which but they lived with us for a little bit. But I think I was in college. You were gone. Yeah, but I was probably, probably eighth influenced. or ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And the mom ate a certain way. That's when diet foods were first brought into our house. And I think I was exposed to that. And so I think as moms, we have to be super careful with our kids about not putting them through any sort of dieting because that is going to mess them up long term down Mm -hmm. the line. And Mm I wish that someone would have. But do you feel like mom was like, Amy, you should eat no. this fat-free butter? No. I don't think so. But I don't think she was like, no, Amy, it don't was... worry about that. Love mm-hmm. your body. Mm-hmm. You don't need that. Mm-hmm. I think it was, there was, just, just was no conversation about mm-hmm. it. You want fat-free snack wells? Okay, we'll buy them. Well, then she would go through times where she would kind of make those like weird cabbage soups and she would do Oh, she did the master cleanse? All the time. Remember? Uh-huh. When she did the lemon juice, cayenne, cayenne. and maple syrup for yes. 10 days. Yes. And apple cider vinegar. Did yeah, maybe. That? I, don't I don't remember. Know. But so many people have emailed in after listening to the Outweigh series and said that their moms passed on to them the Weight Watchers culture, the mm-hmm. points. the mm-hmm. And if you do any of that, I'm not knocking a particular brand, so don't at me. No. I'm just saying that was very popular at the time. And so, and moms, because of how they grew up and it was just part of the time, I think they didn't know any better. And they're like, oh, well, I'll just put my kid on points. Mm -hmm. And then it creates this whole messed Mm -hmm. up thing. And then they Mm -hmm. have to weigh themselves. Mm -hmm. And it's just not, it's such a bigger picture that I'm being exposed to with that we have as a society, we're fat phobic Mm -hmm. and we all have been told this is the body type you're supposed to look like, Mm -hmm. which is not Mm -hmm. attainable for most of society. And it's probably airbrushed. Correct. (laughs) And then some people, yes, are naturally like that. Or some people are literally starving themselves to get there, but you don't know that you just see them on a magazine and then you think, Mm -hmm. well, shoot, that's how I'm supposed to look. Mm -hmm. So what do I need to do to get that? But I'm personally seeing a shift and maybe it's because of what I'm surrounding myself with, but I'm thankful for the people that are putting themselves out there and are super wise and educated in this area. There's so many different things to be passionate about, but there is a a crop of dietitians and leaders in that that are kind of shunning the old ways Mm -hmm. of nutrition work and dietitian work of like, hey, this is what we need to be focusing on now. We don't need to necessarily tell someone to lose weight just because they don't weigh what this other person weighs. Mm -hmm. Weight does not equal health. And for so long, we've been told that weight equals health. 
thank you for giving an update on where I was and where right. I am now. Because again, like you said, it can be encouragement to others. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen overnight. Again, I started really putting in the work and quit purging a year and a half ago. But it's taken that long putting in the work to where I can go to the grocery store and not have anxiety. Or I can go to a restaurant and not be obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, it's been, I see a lot of growth. So I would say people can trust um, the insight that you give on on your path to get there. I've been telling you about Tacova's boots for a very long time. Heritage, tradition, quality, comfort, style, and service are some of the best features of Tacova's. But now they also have a gift for my listeners. Tacovas will throw in one of their best-selling trucker hats or ball caps free with a minimum purchase of $100 at tacovas.com. Just use code BONES at checkout. That's B-O-N-E-S at tacovas.com. And that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. Come and point your toes west. All right, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you. And how you manage them can really make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through things. Now, BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. BetterHelp.com. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows that we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be the chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions that help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 